Hi and welcome everybody. This is the Nick Dora Show, an experiment by yours truly. I've decided to try out podcasting for a limited number of episodes to see if this is fun and useful for both you, the listeners, as well as myself. The episodes I've lined up feature great guests with really interesting insights into this business of animation. I'll be putting out one episode a week for the next three weeks, and I'll continue thereafter if you think I should. To that end, I ask you for your straight-up feedback. Please let me know what you thought about any of the episodes, either through email, nick at nickdora.com, that's N-I-C-K at N-I-C-K-D-O-R-R-A.com, on Twitter, where my handle is Andorra, or on the LinkedIn episode posts. If you really like what you hear, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating so that it will show up for other people looking for similar content. This first episode is kindly sponsored by CellAction, developers of CellAction 2D, the 2D animation software used on some of the most successful series in the world like Peppa Pig, Bluey and Mr. Bean. And in this first episode, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome a dear friend and animation pro, par none, Alison Warner. Alison recently joined Blue Zoo Productions as managing director of a brand new division, Blue Zoo Rights, and is charged with managing the company's portfolio of original content, which includes BAFTA award winner Number Blocks and BAFTA nominated Digby Dragon. Prior to that, Alison served as vice president of IP sales acquisitions and co-productions for Technicolor Creative Development. Allison developed and implemented funding and sales strategies for TCD's in-house animated properties and also sourced new properties to acquire or co-produce. In this role, she was instrumental in securing the rights to The Deep and is part of the team that helped put Technicolor's animated shows Atomic Puppet and The Deep into production through structuring an Australian-Canadian co-production for The Deep and a French-Canadian co-production for Atomic Puppet. She pre-sold The Deep to key broadcasters across the world, including Super RTL, BBC, ABC, YLE, SVT, NRK, France TV, Catnet, Universal Kids, and Netflix. Alison also helped manage the exploitation of all rights of The Deep worldwide. The Deep has become a global hit, topping the children's TV charts in the UK, Germany, and Australia, with toys and books already launched autumn 2018. Alison is passionate about making outstanding animated shows for children of all ages that excite, enhance, and entertain. She is also on the advisory board for the Children's Media Conference. So, Alison, thank you very much uh, for being my first guest on on the podcast. Exactly, and um, the people will have heard your longer form intro by now but just in a couple words would you want to tell us who you are and uh, how you've gotten to where you are right now okay thanks nick um so i am alison warner i am managing director of blue zoo rights uh, which is a brand new division within um, Blue Zoo Animation Studio. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with the company, it's um, probably one of the largest animation studios in the UK um, and uh, has a variety of service and original content. And I was hired by Blue Zoo to manage the original content to see where we could exploit the rights, whether it's just the series internationally or if certain shows have actually got a life outside of the animated content. 
um, for ancillary exploitation. So that's what I do. Where I came from, um, I was latterly at Technicolor for a number of years, um, doing sort of similar job really, but I guess the highlight of Technicolor was that I found um, an animated graphic novel called The Deep, uh, which I championed and we managed to develop it to get it funded, put together a Australian Canadian co-production and pretty much out of nothing um, uh, managed to create a global brand out of the deep with um, books, with toys, with events going on uh, and ultimately um, a top rated series which sold to predominantly public broadcasters. That's no small feat. <laughs> How um, can you can you walk us through the the deep case in a little bit more detail? Um, it you said it originated as a graphic novel, but like um, what was the discussion like for you internally, uh, for example, at that point? When we when we first. When, well, when I first saw the graphic novel, uh, which was uh, presented to me by UK-based producer uh, Robert Chandler, um, we felt that um, the, the book itself had the potential to tell many, many stories. And at the heart of it, it was the adventures of um, a family, um, which we felt there, it was an interesting dynamic. You know, boy, girl, parents, they were all very inclusive. And, um, you know, I think, uh, as I say, that the heart of it, it was we can tell an awful lot of stories based out of this one book and we should develop it. What was interesting is that, you know, relationships are everything. And so, of course, you canvas broadcasters and say, what do you think? And <laughs> two points that came out quite early on was that um, there was a feeling that children didn't want that family unit they wanted to be um, to see adventures outside of that uh, and secondly that adventures in itself were not um, particularly rating um, right now well at the time um, and despite the fact that we were told it's not going to work because they're a family and it's not going to work because it's an adventure uh, we still went ahead so whether that was foolhardy or not but we actually proved um, that the family did work and adventures worked. So that was pretty good. Um, the novel itself was written by Tom Taylor and the, the um, illustrations within the book were uh, done by a guy called James Brewer. And jo James and Tom, both Australian. So it made sense to us to actually start the co-production or figuring out the development in Australia. And again, we canvassed the local broadcaster, the ABC, and um, as to whether this might be a project for them, but how we would go about it. And they were very helpful um, and recommended a number of pretty amazing um, producers, which Robert and, I, and myself interviewed over a period of a few weeks. And um, for various reasons, we settled with ASTART Productions, um, run by Avril Stark um, and that has been a phenomenal relationship and I would actually say one piece of the jigsaw is when you are looking to do a co-production you need to do your homework you need to figure out how this fit is going to work whether you have complementary skill sets whether the work that's going to be done 
fits in with where you're going to do your work um, and ultimately if you're going to get on with that person because it is a little bit like a marriage you're going to be working with that person or that production team for a number of years um, you know um, I think at Technicolor we were six seven years working with Avril and we're still all firm friends still want to do more work together um, so I think kick the tires good piece of advice um, so we did we did that we 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 did our research we got our first production company we developed the show we took it out to market um, and the ABC said that they would pick it up um, and then <clears throat> we in terms of the development materials that we had we had um, a bible uh, two scripts and a teaser and with that we went to I think it was MIP TV Kids Screen first, then MIP TV, and Super RTL. Um, Karen Mitriger, who was there, read the script, came out with some detailed notes, and said she felt it was a fit for Super RTL. So that was brilliant. We then had Anchor Broadcaster in Australia and Anchor Broadcaster in Germany. So the pieces of the jigsaw were starting to come together, and it was looking like the deep was very much sort of sitting within public broadcasters. Um, but we figured out we needed probably another co-producing partner and um, spoke to a number of Canadian companies and ultimately settled with Nerdcore, who actually hadn't done a co-production before. But Ace Vicky and Ken Fair both looked at the project and for them it felt like a good fit, but also there was a gap in their studio which needed filling. So for them that made commercial sense as well as um, artistic sense. So Nerdcore came on board, uh, which was brilliant. Um, and we then pre-sold the show to a number of other territories, um, the, the Nordics, so uh, Wali in Finland, SVT in Sweden, NRK. Um, and ultimately Technicolor came in as an investor on the show, which enabled us to go into production. Um, we latterly then sold it to the BBC um, and it has performed incredibly well for them. And I think it's now one of their cornerstones of shows that they they know that um, their viewers really, really enjoy. Um, Nerdcore got sold, uh, got bought by DHX, so distribution ended up with them. But we held on to the underlying um, ancillary rights. And I guess that's another subject that you always need to be mindful of as to if you're co-producing a show, are you the active partner or the passive partner? Uh, and we at Technicolor were the active partner with The Deep, which meant that we controlled the ancillary rights. We needed to figure out where it was going to go. And as, as ever with these things, um, toy and book are always the um, two key areas that you need to focus on. Because the show had gone piecemeal, um, toy companies needed um, reassurance that uh, the show was going to continue to perform very well so we had to actually have two seasons under our belt before we signed up with anyone uh, but eventually signed with Simba Dickie based in Germany um, who created a number of amazing toys um, something to think about is always um, if you're the producer at some point and you're the uh, active underlying rights holder, you will need to start thinking about a style guide and where the assets are going to come from and where you're going to build it up. 
um, how your show is going to look, will it resonate internationally? Um, and we took quite a lot of advice at the time to make sure that we had um, the right elements in place. We knew that the sea could be a very deep, dark place and we needed to brighten it up. And in fact, the, the actual look um, from the original graphic novel changed an awful lot. And even though James Brewer was on board from the very start, um, we worked with him to actually turn a lot of the um, the look into something lighter and brighter, and that worked very well. Um, but it was down to us to define that look, to make sure all the assets were available for the style guide in order to start building the brand. Um, we were also very lucky to have an amazing brand manager, Pam Koenig-Cohen, um, who would hold it all together and make sure that the show was being um, um, exploited, uh, not only in the UK, but also in Germany and in key areas. So that's a very quick overview. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Um, when, when you said that... Um, you know, you canvassed, you canvassed the broadcasters and, and, and you got this feedback that kids don't want adventures of a family unit, which sort of was your key or your, your, your core idea for the show in a way, wasn't it? What, what drew you in? Um, what was the thinking process that led you to continue and not to abandon the project or or just even to freeze it for a while and, and return to it later? Why, why continue at that point? Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, if, if I suppose if we're in a position of working for a company where you could actually afford to do your own research, um, then I guess I would have said, let's put it into research and see what our research shows rather than, you know, a collective well, we, that's not working for us right now. But I think I think we knew that that um, um, the information we we were being told was off what was actually on air rather than what wasn't on air, and we perceived it as a gap in the market. So I think you know that that adventure shows with the family had dropped off. We literally couldn't think of anything quite like it um, that was on air. So I think it was coming from a point of view that what was working on air was these kids going off and having great adventures by themselves. So why would you need a family rather than, well, we've made shows and they failed, you know, mm. so that's why they're not on air. So in certain ways, I think we were um, gung-ho <laughs> that we felt it would work um, and why not? Um, but it wasn't based on on an awful lot of research it was based off well we 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 believe it will work um it was as simple as that um probably yeah. not the most scientific approach but if you haven't got the um resource to be able to justify it sometimes you just got to give these things a go sure sure um and when you say that you know you'd be you'd be doing your own research um would how would that like in a case where where a producer would then you know invest in doing their own research for a project because they believe in it, um, how do you see that conversation going with a broadcaster at that stage if they are like, well, you know, this and this doesn't work for us, 
And then you as a producer come in, well, actually, you know, I have the data here that says otherwise. <laughs> I'm sure they're faced with things like that all the time, um, or maybe from a select few companies. Um, I think there's a way of um, a way of um, producing information in, in a way that you 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 say, well, we've thought about this and we've thought about the challenges that um, might be faced with you know, uh, a brand new genre. So we, you know, we're, we're presenting you with some lovely research to back up our thinking. I think that's probably the best way of presenting that opportunity. <laughs> so so would it be fair to say that it's, it's sort of you're helping them in their job because usually whoever you meet and are pitching to, they'll rarely be the ones who can, you know, decide on their own so you're actually kind of saying, here's some tools that you can take back to the office and, and you know, distribute and we want to make your life easier. I think I think that's a good um, way of putting it. Um, but as I say, I'm very mindful of the fact that to do this kind of research and do it properly, it is quite a large investment. And, and for most independent producers, there just isn't the opportunity to afford to do something like that as yeah. early stage of development. Sure, if you're a you know, a super large company creating content, then yes, you can put a lot of it into into some form of research to back up why a broadcaster would take that particular property. But, yeah. you know. You no, know. I mean, sometimes it, it could be that, you know, uh, someone is developing a project from a, a personal strength, uh, an area where they are, you know, experts in um, outside of just, you know, the animation medium. And, and that's why they know, you know, they, they know that, you know, kids will be responding to X because, I don't know, they have a, uh, a previous career um, in, I, I don't know, kids education or whatever. And, and then they can kind of bring in, bring in that and just how, you know, how to how to approach those kinds of conversations? I think that's a good good thing to think about always. Yeah, I mean it's always interesting. I mean going back to Blue Zoo, um, we um, produced a series called Number Blogs, um, which is an educational series, and it is incredible. the 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 viewing figures um, it's on the BBC every time it's scheduled. It's constantly in the in the charts. The iPlayer, it was number one last week, I think. It's always top five, always. Wow. And, and on on the internet, um, because we have it on YouTube as well, I think it hit half a billion views for the last quarter, 2019. This is huge. It is yeah. bigger than most brands. And yet there is still resistance from the broadcasters to take it on because it's regarded as an educational show. It won a BAFTA for best preschool series. It's um, subtle learning. It It is, um, kids love it. And, you know, the fact that they can improve their early maths as well at the same time is just quite astonishing. And yet there is a mindset, and I understand that, that, um, a lot of broadcasters would say it doesn't fit in with their schedule. It's too overtly educational, and so it, it won't fit in. And and this is a property that is backed up by huge research. It is out there and outperforming most well-known brands. But you know, 
if it doesn't fit in with what a broadcaster is looking for, so be it. You just have to find other routes to market. Exactly, exactly. When um, when you're looking at routes to market, um, do you, in the case of the Deep, for example, or any other projects you've worked on, um, how do you structure your approach? Like, do you do you lay out like, okay, if we if we shape this project to you know for public broadcasters, then we're going to be you know working this way, and commercial broadcasters that way, or do you have on the projects that you're working on, do you, do you usually kind of decide that up front? I think you've always got to be mindful of um, knowing what kind of shows are going to be, you know, the right fit for, let's say, Cartoon Network, as opposed to the BBC, as opposed to maybe what Netflix are looking for, or, you know, the various other streamers. Um, so I don't, think one size fits all so if you have a show in development yes you might say well it could go on the commercial route or it could go down the public broadcast route or it could go down the streamer route um then that feels possibly like a show that may not really work for anyone perhaps yeah. um, i mean certainly or, or, or may, may may not be developed yet uh, developed enough yet at this point exactly so i mean we have a number of shows in development at blue zoo and um, we know that certain, you know, certain shows we feel, well, that might work with a streamer or this one might work with, you know, um, let's say Nickelodeon or Disney Cartoon Network, or that one may go down the public broadcast route. And yes, some, there might be a bit of crossover with some of them, but, you know, uh, I think from an early stage, we're always mindful of what we're, you know, what we know the broadcasters are looking for. Um, and and where best to target it. And certainly, you know, we we wouldn't pitch some of our shows to say Milkshake, who are very much a preschool um, block, rather and pitch them a comedy show for eight-year-olds or something. So yes, it's always good to know who who wants what and where they yeah. want it. And I think that's uh, a very interesting peculiarity about our business is that we have these events where you know broadcasters go and stand uh, in in front of a room full of producers and tell them i want to buy this so that it's you, you don't have to guess what the market wants in a way although you know with your example of the deep you actually <laughs> sort of you 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 did the sort of steve <laughs> jobs steve jobs thing yeah yeah but um no that's that's true um do you do you spend time thinking about uh, what types of broadcasters to prioritize? Because, I mean, my experience is that not all broadcasters are created equal in that, you know, having a certain broadcaster on board might be nice, but that does not yet make the show in a way. Um, is is there like do do you approach do you approach the financing or the sales process in a way that you say uh, we need to get you know one of a certain type of broadcasters first or or do you just take meetings with anyone who is interested to get initial momentum and and you know motivational boost because I think it can all be valid approaches but I'm just wondering if if, if you have a favorite one. Oh. <laughs> 
Well, I think I think you know if, if you were. I think it also depends on what you are. If you see what I mean. I mean, at Blue Zoo, we are a studio, and so um, you know we're looking um, ultimately to fund um, animated series to put through our own studio. So, um, and therefore we might come at it from a slightly different angle than developing a show where you don't have that resource and you are looking to create a brand for example um so uh, i think i think it very much depends on what your own personal situation is depending on how you then you know develop um original content and where you actually pitch it because um you know, if you pitch to the streamers, ultimately, if they take it as an original, um, it means that all rights will be transferred to that particular streamer, um, which if that is something that you're happy with, which we are at Blue Zoo as part of the blend, then that works. But if it's something that you want to control all the rights, then you do not go to that streamer. There's no point, you know. Um Whereas, and also, you know, if you have a show that has potential to have ancillary merchandising, and most of them don't, but a few of them do, then your approach will be different again, you know. Um, so every show is different, but also you've got to think about your own situation as well. That is that is definitely true. And and I, I think, um, yeah, might, might just be a hunch, but, but that not not enough uh people are paying are paying attention to the differences in in business models as well uh as you said that you have you have companies that have very different needs uh day-to-day -day needs even in, in in case of putting work through a studio uh for example um but i i, I suppose Again, going back to the deep example, uh, where it, it was very helpful, I think, for you to get ABC on board, for example, because that's where the the property originated. It it, it was, and you've got to remember at Technicolor that um, um, there was a, a you know Technicolor has a huge animation studio based in Bangalore, and the original plan was. Okay, let's front end it with, um, you know, doing a co-production with Australia, and then let's see if we can raise enough funding to be able to put the production through Bangalore. But um, the reality was there wasn't, um, and it became very clear very quickly that we couldn't actually put it through um, the Bangalore studio, which is then when when we took the decision to co-produce it with Canada because of the various tax credits that were available in Canada and, you know, enhanced buying from the broadcasters there, which isn't necessarily the case at present because things change. Um, yep. And and that drove the commercial decision um, to, to co-produce it. But, um, you know, as I say, every project is unique. <laughs> One size does not fit all. You cannot cannot you know use the same the same model um every single time it's just not never going to work yeah yeah even even with sequels or or second seasons it's it's not always that you'd have the same exactly. same constellations of players aligned again so it's very much a a, a business of prototypes 
<laughs> which makes it makes it a bit weird um good um do you have any any kind of best practices that you you'd want to share with people i mean one definitely is of course the one that you mentioned already be aware of what the different broadcasters want and need uh i think that's that's a very kind of fundamental truth in, in sales is that it's you're going to have a hard time selling to someone who does not want, want what you're selling. Uh, you're just going to make everybody's life difficult. You, you'd be amazed how many times people get pitch shows um, that are just not on brand for that particular broadcast platform. You know, yeah. uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you should never waste people's time. I think that's 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 some, very important. I mean, I would say you you need to make sure your development materials are the best they possibly can be um, to take away any reason for a broadcaster to say no, um, rather than go away and write another script or go away and create some more characters or go. You know, you 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 need to kick the tires on your development to make sure that all aspects of it work. Um, and I do think- Do you do that internally with, with your work or do you do you even approach like colleagues to shoot holes in your, in your materials? Like, look at this, what am I not seeing? <laughs> we, um, hmm, that's interesting. Um, necessarily um, get colleagues to have a look although i think you know at blue zoo we're very you know um inclusive with the whole company um and a lot of the ideas that we actually end up developing have come from in-house so you know the, the team are very on what we're doing um i think the biggest thing is sometimes you see the most beautiful picture book for example and think oh isn't that gorgeous you know just love to see that come to life but you then might be restricted in terms of the number of stories that you can tell. And, you know, can you really create 52, 11-minute stories that are all going to be as sweet and original and funny as, you know, the last one? Or are you ending up kind of going down a route of, right, well, we need to have this kind of story and that kind of story, and then it becomes rather sluggish. So, you know, I think any any show that ever gets developed, first question you have to ask yourself is, can you tell many, many stories out of this? You know, are the characters compelling enough? And have you built enough um, up, you know, in, in the world that they live in, in order to go off and, you know, keep the magic alive? I think I think that's super important, more, more than anything else, you know, um, how you're going to be able to do that. Um, so I think it's, it, is, it is get your development materials in the best possible place know your market, um, understand where you're going to go and how you're going to pitch it. And, you know, sometimes if you're a creator and you don't have the relationships with some of the broadcasters, then to go and talk to one of the many great, you know, distribution companies that can perhaps help you with that um, and to create a plan with them as well. Um, so, and also know that it's going to take a long time. You know, these things do not move quickly for the main part. Occasionally they do. But, um, you know, even if you've got a broadcast standing up and going, we're looking for, you know, 
a girl hero vehicles show or something like that unless you've actually got one in your pocket to go away and create it develop it and get it to a point where you want to pitch it um may take between you know six months and a year or something like that by which time the broadcaster may have actually filled their requirement for that kind of show so it's quite dangerous to go and create something specifically for a requirement because it may get filled in the meantime yeah yeah that's true that's true and um it's 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 also it's also true that it does take uh, time also after you've pitched uh, sometimes to get to get feedback. Um, do you have any rule of thumb on on how often you <laughs> you ping people about feedback without appearing to be you know a uh, a nuisance? Um, I think it depends on the company. Um, sometimes you know we are given, you know, a timeline, you know, if you go and pitch a show and they'll say, right, okay, well, we won't be able to come back to you for maybe up to three months. So mm -hmm. don't bother us until then. Of course, then it is disappointing that you've waited that long. And if you've been rejected, you know, oh, well, why didn't you just do it straight away? <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I always remember when Jackie Edwards was at the BBC, um, I think she said they had something like a thousand pitches of which they would take possibly three um, projects. Yeah. So they need to evaluate those thousand projects in order to narrow it down to those three. So, you know, you do have to be cognizant to the fact that there is a huge job that's being done on the other side. And, you know, I mean, we get pitches from um, external third party and it's a lot easier if you're not a broadcaster because you can just look at it and go, you know, oh, do we like this show? Would it be a fit for the studio? What are they looking for? You know, do we have space? And and it becomes quite a quick thing to, you know, get back to people and say, yes, we'd like to take it on board or no, sorry, not this time. You know, but with a broadcaster, um, they also have to figure out how they're going to schedule it. Well, some streamers obviously not, um, but how it's going to fit in amongst their other programming and um also on an international level share it with all their colleagues and see if it works on their, their various territories so you can see why it takes some time yeah. uh, but um at the same time um if you if you get the right response in the room then there's no reason not to ping them quite quickly afterwards <laughs> to say mm. where are you um uh, I think the longer you wait, the more unlikely it is they're going to take the project, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's usual. Usually I'd, I would also agree that if, if it's sort of, if the enthusiasm has time to evaporate, then it's hard to reignite that again. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. So um, changing, changing gears a little bit, um, I have a couple of, of general questions that I'm looking to, to ask for uh, ask from uh, several of, of the people I'm going to interview. So okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try <laughs> I'll try these on you now as well. Um, what is the most important thing that you have learned about this business, and why is that? What was your life like before or after? Why, why was that so important? Um, what have I learned? Tenacity. Um, 
I suppose. Um, what was my life before? Well, it was in home entertainment. So um, in home entertainment, I learned that every project that you um, that you you greenlit, that a member of the public would have to actually take a tenner or more, 10 euros, 20 euros out of their pocket and hand that cash over to buy a DVD. Um, and so you really honed your skills in terms of what the public wanted. Um, and obviously moving to just the children's um, industry, there's still that background of is this going to, you know, does, does it resonate in the same way? Would a parent take a tenner out of their pocket or would a child, not them suggesting children buy stuff, but, but it, it's that want, I guess. Um, so I think it's, it's really honing your skills in terms of understanding what it is that, that children are looking for, you know, whether it's a really sweet preschool show or, you know, seriously funny, you know, comedy series or um, a high octane, you know, action series. Um, but as I say, the one thing I've learned is, you know, you have to carry on being tenacious. You have to make sure that you are aware of how the broadcast landscape is changing and how the people within that community are changing as well. Um, because it's constantly shifting. So you need to be mindful of um, who is in that place in order to take whatever pitch that you have. Um, so relationships, very important, you know, build on them. Um, and I've been in this kids industry 20 years and there's still some people that are there and some people that have moved on and brand new people coming along all the time. So it's always being aware of, of you know, who you should be talking to. Yeah. Um, is, there, uh, is there a way that you go about honing that understanding about, you know, what kids are looking for? Do you have a particular approach to that, going to the, to the bookstore? Do you, do you go to, um, I mean, here, here in Finland, uh, there is a big um, YouTuber conference that I went uh, that I went to a couple of times a few years ago when it when it really started to blow up, <clears throat> just to kind of understand what what the what 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 that is to them. Like, do you do you have any any approaches how you how you work on that for you? So. What you're really saying is, um, how do we identify new trends or new projects that might be coming our way? For example. Yeah. Um, so I think in terms of that, um, we constantly encourage um, everybody in the studio to come up with thoughts and ideas internally. Um, and, you know, I think we're lucky in the fact we have a brilliant team, very creative, and they can come and pitch us anything really again across a whole range of different genres and then obviously you've then got to keep on on you know keep on looking at new books that are coming out or new um talent that is emerging you know agents that will come along and see you um so i think i think it's again it's not a well this is one strategy this is you know a whole host of different 
things were you looking for? I mean, um, you know, what, what Fred Siebert did with Frederator was really innovative, at, you know, of his time in, in terms of attaching talent and just letting them run with it and see what would work, you know. Um, I guess we're a little bit more cautious than that in the fact that if we take anything on, then we have to make sure it gets developed properly and pitched properly. Not to say that we wouldn't do that, um, but it is a different approach, you know. Um, but that's all in terms of, you know, where does the content come from that we're going to feed the machine? Um, and I think you do have to be across it all uh, and keep on reviewing new trends and what's happening with YouTube and how um, that's working or will be working, particularly with the new COPA compliances. Um, and my thought is right now that they're going to actually end up creating a lot more considered long form um, content than a lot of the user generated content. So again, it's being mindful over that and seeing what's going on there. So yeah. constantly looking, being open to all kinds of ideas and thoughts and, you know, that's the best way, I think. Yeah. Is yeah. there is there any uh, change, any development that you currently see that that you're really excited about? I think we've we're, we're probably in a fantastic position to be a producing studio right now because I think there are more outlets than there ever have been before. You know, um, with with the number of streamers that have come on board, and now I believe that you know YouTube are actually going to start commissioning content as well. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, you know, um, well, let's see it happen first of all. <laughs> um, but obviously, not forgetting linear, it's not going to go away. Um, I'm sure some of it will change and and take on the new challenges, the commercial broadcasters are still you know very well defined in terms of the kind of content that they're looking for as well so i think actually the the, the range of um outlets for your content is fantastic um of course it's always still challenging trying to get some of it funded depending on where you go um and that always trying to pull those pieces of the jigsaw together is always a head scratcher <laughs> never easy <laughs> But there are things now like the, you know, in the UK, we have the UK tax credit to help us. So that's a good thing. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, one, well, two last questions. One, um, do you have any resources that, any, any tools? <laughs> any, Excuse me. No worries. Uh, any tools, any resources that that you're that you're hel uh, that you're using on a let's say daily or weekly basis that that you know really you know that that help you in your job something you know that 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 another producer might go like hey that's that's I haven't thought of that that could that could make my life easier or is it just you know the good old phone and email client is all you need. <laughs> I, I was about to say in terms of what in terms of finding the content producing funding the content producing whatever whatever you feel that makes your your life easier that you're happy that you've you've figured out um goodness me um i think i think the the uh, i don't think you can 
do this from a standing start. I think I think it takes time to build up your reputation and that and to build up the contacts that you have. Um, and that there is a you know anyone new coming into the business, I, I would say, you know, make sure you've got somebody that's a very good mentor to tell you who to go and talk to and maybe to open some doors because you know I, I think a lot of broadcasters and streamers are understandably um, wanting to work with with um, people that they know that they can trust it's a very small industry you know everybody knows everybody else everybody knows who who can create amazing content who will deliver who can deliver on time and on schedule and um, so I think I think all that comes from having been in the industry for a long time so I guess there is no quick start to this business. I think you would agree with that, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's a um, slog. <laughs> <laughs> do 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 you have a, a mentor that you go to? Um uh, no no need to name them, but just curious. I don't have a mentor as such. I mean I I think I have a wide network of good friends who are across all areas so creators producers broadcasters you know ex-colleagues that you know we I can go well oh, think about this or maybe doing that or I could do with some help here um, and you know as long as you're not doing it on a constant basis which I don't um, but any time that you feel that you need a little bit of help and advice it's you know this is the kind of industry you can pick up the phone and say I'm just thinking about doing this and you know do you have any thoughts on it um, so I will do that but no there isn't particularly any one person I would go to on this but but that's also a very good way to approach that I feel because then you know you're not exhausting one person but you have like a, you have a brain trust that you can tap into with different strengths in different areas yeah yeah and the same you know I get the same as well I have people you know saying I'm oh, just thinking about this and what do you think about that so yeah yep yeah, yeah. Exactly. uh great um is there anything that uh, I should have asked you and did not? Anything that you feel should be mentioned in a context like this? Whether it's about yourself or about the industry or the work we do? I'll probably go away. I'll probably say, no, no, you've thought of everything. Then I'll, I'll, about an hour later, I'll go, oh, that was super helpful you know if if I'd heard that at some point <laughs> uh, no I don't think so I think I think um, you know as I say the main thing is always to be aware of what your role is within the industry and um, you know as I say and and how you fit around that if you're an independent producer or part of a studio or part of a distribution setup there will always be things you can do within that setup and things that you can't do within that setup. Um, and to be mindful of that and try not to do everything, but just to play to your strengths. What, what, will, be, what will be examples of, of those restraints? Um, 
I think um, if you're an independent producer, unless you've actually got your own, you know, if, if you can pen or, or draw, then great. But otherwise, you're always going to have to pay out for those skills. Um, whereas if you're in a studio, it might be a lot easier to, um, in downtime, get get um, your colleagues to help out with certain elements of that. Um, and so, again, it's working out what resources you have available to you, you and, again, how best to utilise them. So, you know, an independent producer will be working off... Um, quite quite um I, I would say probably quite a strict development budget whereas if you're in a studio you can be a little bit more flexible and creative so but um but then perhaps in a studio you may be constrained by a certain look or way of development you know so again it's it's six one half dozen of the other but playing playing to your personal strengths, I think. Yep. Yeah. No. Well, makes makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I also want to be mindful of our time. Um, so. Yes. Thanks so much uh, <laughs> for agreeing to do this, and uh, yeah, uh, hope to hope to reprise this uh, once. You know, you you have you have your next big uh, successes, uh, which I'm sure are just around the corner, and uh, then we can do a, a couple of more case studies. <laughs> and um, yeah, thanks so much. Ah, oh, that's a pleasure, Nick. One thing that I would add is that case studies are always really um, an interesting. You know, I I, I mentioned the deep and uh, you. As somebody that's been in this industry a long time, I would still really welcome to hear other people's case studies of how, you know, they went around either funding a show or, you know, how it end, ended up being exploited. Um, and I think sharing that kind of information is, you know, always valuable. Yes, definitely. And thank you so much for for doing that this time around. And I'll, I'll do my best to, to get other people to, to do the same. Okay, good luck. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right, my dear. Take care. Bye now. Take care. Bye. Bye. And that's it for this episode. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Please uh, do send me your feedback. Do give the podcast a five star rating if you enjoyed what you heard. And if you want to be kept in the loop on upcoming episodes, you can go to nickdora.com forward slash blog. To sign up for the newsletter so you'll be notified about the next episode. Take care, hear you soon.